Welcome to Walking with Freya, a journey through special needs parenting. This podcast is a place for parents and caregivers of children with special needs to share stories, the very real struggles and challenges we face, along with the inevitable love and joy these children have brought into our lives. This is a place for unapologetic honesty, well-intentioned laughter, and endless support. A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Allie is mother to Dean, a 10-year-old boy with PWS. She talks about his time in the NICU and what it was like to have a baby in the hospital and a toddler at home. The usual PWS suspects are here in this conversation, like G-tube, surgeries, speech issues, anxiety, OC tendencies, and of course the topic of food. We also talk about the very real cycle of a special needs parent. Breaking down, processing, and then moving on and the seasons that we experience in these lives, the times where we dive into the resources and information ready to tackle the next obstacle ahead, but also the times we must retreat into ourselves and our families, and the inevitable insecurity and question that rears itself at this time, should I be doing more? Allie talks a bit about being an advocate reviewer for FPWR, that's the Foundation for Prader-Willi Research. They are, I believe, a crucial part to our PWS community and the success of our children. In large part because of FPWR, we are learning more about the treatment and management of PWS. I advocate for donations for FPWR in scenarios where it is appropriate, like birthdays and weddings, and I know many other families do as well. Last year, I interviewed Susan Hedstrom. She's the executive director of FPWR. So if you'd like to learn more about the organization, I suggest, I suggest checking out episode 10 of this podcast or visiting their website at fpwr.org. I'm going to keep this intro short. As you can probably tell by my voice, I've been battling a nasty cough this past week or so. I've had to do a few interviews during this time, but thankfully I've learned uh, I'm getting better at using the mute button so you don't hear my coughing fits, but it can't really help the, the stuffy nose sound. I did have a raucous and fun family dance party in our kitchen last night. That was totally worth it, but today I am drinking tea and drinking soup and preparing myself for This Thursday, the 23rd, is my birthday, and I will be turning 40. It's a bit of a milestone, I think, but for now, today, I'm still in my 30s, and I'm going to enjoy it as much as I can and be ready for 40. So thank you all for being here with me, and thank you for witnessing yet another beautiful story of a fellow mom on this journey. Take care, everyone. Hi, Allie. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Can we start with 
just uh, your introduction into the special needs community, who you are and who your your child is, and if you have uh, if you have sure. siblings. Yeah, so um, I'm in Richmond, Virginia, um, and I have three boys. Uh, Cole is 11, Dean is 10, and Emmett is eight. And um, Dean has Prader-Willi syndrome. Uh, he was born up in uh, Beverly, Massachusetts, north of Boston, and we're now down in Virginia. So, yeah. Okay, three boys. Yeah, those are very close in age. <laughs> yeah, be. they are. They really are. <laughs> Busy times. Yeah. So how old was Dean when he got diagnosed? Um, so I, when I was pregnant with him, nothing was really wrong per se, but it was a very different pregnancy from my, um, oldest son who Cole, who was very active when I was pregnant with him and Dean wasn't very active. And so they started doing a little bit more, you know, tests and I was measuring ahead and all of a sudden I had all this fluid and, um, and at like 35 weeks, he, um, after lots of non-stress tests, he stopped, he basically stopped moving um, very much. And I went to the hospital and my fluid was out of control. So like we, at that point, we knew something was going on. And so then I had an emergency C-section and um, he was like very floppy. I mean, very, very floppy, could barely move, couldn't suck, no reflexes. And we knew something was wrong. And that hospital is staffed by uh, neonatologists from their uh, NICU is staffed by, staffed by neonatologists from Children's Hospital Boston. So they had him transferred to uh, Children's, and there was a geneticist there that saw him like day two of life. And you know they were running a million tests trying to figure out what he had, and the geneticist said, well, they can run all the tests, but I'm telling you, he has Prader-Willi syndrome. And um, so among other things, they sent off for, you know, DNA testing and uh, received, a, you know, an actual uh, diagnosis when he was like three weeks old. But we knew, you know, probably day two that that's probably what we were dealing with. Um, yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's very early, very young. How it was, I mean, if it hadn't been for that geneticist who just, you know, who knew um, about it, it probably would have been a lot longer. Yeah. And do you, are you glad that you found out so early? This is some of the, one of the questions that comes up sometimes of, you know, do you, yeah. do you get the diagnosis earlier? Do you kind of have, do you want a little time before the diagnosis? You know, anyway, just how do you, sure. how do you feel about that? Yeah, absolutely. I have to say, I'm glad I didn't know while I was pregnant, because even though there were a couple things going on, I had time to bond with him as my, here comes my next kid, and we're so excited, and Cole's going to be a big brother. Um, but considering he, he was in such bad shape when he was born, I mean, he couldn't move, he couldn't eat, you know, the lack of reflexes, like I was talking about, that some of the diagnoses they were throwing around immediately were things that were fatal, like that he was really not going some sort of trisomy, like, um, is it 13 or 18, or they thought he had 
spinal muscular atrophy, um, which can result in a pretty um, short life expectancy and other things. So I had heard of Prader-Willi syndrome. And so when they said that, I thought my immediate thought was like, okay, he's going to live. So at that point, that was like, not the best thing they could have told me, obviously, but at the time, given the situation, I mean, we knew something was wrong. It was, you know, this was not something that he was just a five week preemie and was going to clear up. It was clear something was um, in, you know, a, a congenital situation. And so at that point, it was, I don't know, I felt like in a sense, it was almost one of the best things I could hear because <laughs> I knew he was going to live. That was all I wanted given the situation. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that quite a bit. And that was actually part of our own story too. It wasn't an official diagnosis, but um, before we found out for his diagnosis, I, I, I didn't know, we didn't know what was happening. And and that same thing, yeah. I, thought, I thought, oh my God, is she dying? And when I, my friend who was yes. like a midwife said, no, I don't, she's not dying. You know, she, if I, yeah. And so just that, you know, like, okay, w- once you get to that, like, okay, they're not going to die. Okay. I can handle anything else. Like they're here. Oh, okay. absolutely. Yeah. And then it was helpful to have something to kind of like hang knowledge on of the things that we were seeing. And I like immediately <laughs> like locked and loaded and found out information. And I got myself a mentor family through the PWSA and like all these sorts of things. I found out about growth hormone. Like I immediately was like, all right, game on. I will do whatever I need to. So the social worker and the NICU came over, like, I don't know, was it later that day or something like that? And she had a a packet of information, like about like fundamental, you know, information about Prader Willie. And I was like, Oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm way beyond that. (laughs) So nice. I know I feel blessed to that our kids have a diagnosis that there's so much information about and there is such a really solid active community and so that's great that oh yeah people are reaching out as soon as you get a diagnosis you get people on your side absolutely so how was that so you had a one-year-old at this point yeah 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 Cole was 20 months old so baby I mean basically (laughs) So how yeah, was that? It was, I mean, um, you had had like this example, I guess, of a quote unquote typically developing baby, and then you had Dean. Yeah. So that must have been yep. challenging in a variety of ways. It was. Oh yeah, I mean, um, you know, Cole was just so little that it wasn't like he was really independent in any sort of way. And we were up in Boston. We were not near family. Um, Amazing community of friends. Um, My husband and I were attending seminary at the time. We just had a great community of people in our church and everyone who just really supported us. But I just was like in a deep, dark hole for like, I don't know, it's a blur, but probably about six months and people are telling me, you know, oh, just take care of yourself and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, I was just trying to get through a day. I was just so depressed and so sad. And I was worried when Dean was born and in some ways this sounds horrible, but it is what it is. I was worried about like, 
is Cole's life forever changed? Like, is he now going to have this really difficult life because he's having a brother who's going to take attention away from him and have all this other stuff going on? I was worried about that, um, which is so funny because not funny, haha, but it's it's ironic. It's because it's been it's been the exact opposite. Um, the two of them have such a great influence on each other, but I, I was worried about that. And then, you know, I'm trying to spend all this time in the NICU with Dean, but I got a kid at home. <laughs> and so, and he was so little, we tried to bring him into the NICU like one time to meet Dean and that didn't last very long because he was just so little and he's like rolling his toy cars under other babies' beds. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is not <laughs> but, but when I was at the NICU with Dean, I felt badly that I wasn't home with Cole. And when I was home with Cole, I felt badly that I wasn't at the NICU with Dean. And I wanted to go as much as possible with Bob, my husband, so that I wasn't alone. But, you know, one of us had to take care of Cole if um, other family or friends weren't available at the moment. So I just felt really, really torn and I was worried for Cole um, and stuff, but he, he just like, Cole was great. I mean, which really helped because I was just undone um, and he was great and he jumped right in there. He was imitating the physical therapy exercises that, you know, um, that the PTs did with him in the NICU and, he wanted to help feed Dean, which was tricky because he was G-tube fed. I mean, we would do what we could with the bottle, but he just was in such bad shape that, you know, so it's kind of hard to teach a one-year-old how to do a G-tube, um, <laughs> <laughs> but he tried. And um, so it was, wor I was worried. And in the end, the parts that were hard about that were actually fairly short-lived, which was good. So... But I mean, so many specialist visits and then Dean had multiple surgeries and all that stuff. It just, I guess that part did continue for a little bit feeling like I was constantly away from Cole or dragging him to doctor appointments and things like that because he's so little. Yeah. But I think that these siblings, yeah. it's just such a part of their life, you know? I mean, I have... Oh, yeah. I have a daughter that's 16 months younger than Freya, who has yeah. been just a huge help. And then I just recently interviewed my oldest daughter, who was seven at the time. And it's funny because I had held on to some things. Like she was the first one that came into the room when I got the diagnosis on a phone yeah. call. And I, you know, and I sobbed under her shoulders and like, you know, she's 14 now. So seven years ago. And, and for seven years, yeah. like whenever I think about that moment, I'm like, Oh my God, I was such a bad mom. Like, how can I put that on her? <laughs> and, and when I interviewed her, I asked her about that and she didn't even remember. So <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I don't yeah. Oh that. yeah. I think that they're funny. Yeah, and, and I asked her a few things about, you know, the, the beginning time. Did she, you know, Freya's first year of life, did she feel abandoned? And, and she was like, no, we were, it was fine. We were just all parenting Freya. You know, it's just, I think that they, again, yeah. they have such a healthier perspective when they are raised with it than like absolutely. parents coming into it. Yep, absolutely. I mean, and Cole was so little that he doesn't remember life without Dean, you know? Um, and so to him, it's all... And it's funny because, like you said, they're just kind of raised with it. It took him a really long time to figure out that Dean had, like, a thing going on versus, 
you know, um, he's getting these orthotics and he's got this feeding tube and we're going to all these therapies and all the rest of it. Um, it took him a while. And one day he kind of like put it all together and he said, mom, I actually, to be honest, I don't even remember how it came up, but he, you know, we talk about Crowder Willie. It's not like a dirty word or anything like that. We just keep it really chill. Just like everybody's got stuff going on. And this is obviously a more significant thing than something just like seasonal allergies but uh you know but at the same time um you know we just we talk about it pretty openly and I I think that helps too I'd like I'd like to think it helps um with you know it just being part of their part of their lives um yeah well I I, would what it is yeah I think so I think if you know if you don't stigmatize it and you don't make it this kind of secretive thing you know it is just yeah just a part of the family I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, my daughter's only seven, yeah. so I don't, you know, I'm not coming, I'm not saying that from like a, a wealth of wisdom and experience. But. Well, whatever. I mean, but you, uh, but you know how sometimes those, those seven years, I mean, Dean's 10 and we were like, in some ways we can't believe he's 10 and in some ways it feels like it's been a hundred years <laughs> because, because of all the stuff that goes on that, you know, um, that gets packed into a a short little life, you know, thus far. Yeah. I was just uh, looking at some pictures of Freya as a baby the other day, and I was noticing how young I look and compared to now. And I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> what happened, <laughs> what happened to me? Uh, <laughs> it just seems a little more I know. I was 20, I was 27 when I had Dean. Um, so yeah (laughs) that's a lot that's a lot for a 27 year old it is yeah (laughs) I mean so how long was he in the NICU um so he was in he was at the um Beverly Hospital NICU for you know like a day like I was saying got transferred to children's NICU um and they did a lot of the like testing and other stuff there um but I mean it, they, in some senses, they, everyone was kind of like waiting to see if some of the issues that he had, which some of them could have been like preemie type issues. Like he had really low iron levels, which apparently the baby's iron levels get some, or iron gets laid down in whatever their blood or whatever, most during the last month of pregnancy, which he missed because um, he was born five weeks early. And so you know, like, oh, well, maybe that all settle out. And it was just funny because it was like, who are we kidding? <laughs> so, but they wanted to keep him um, there. So they did wait until the full, oh, so he was at Children's for like 10 days. And that was only because I kept asking, when is he coming back? When is he coming back? When is he coming back? Um, until I got the doctors to give me a straight answer. And then they moved him back to the Beverly Hospital NICU, which was like eight minutes from our house as opposed to like an hour with traffic um so and then he was there until 40 weeks so he was there for five weeks he was also so floppy that he couldn't like maintain appropriate oxygen saturations I mean you could move his head and neck like the tiniest little degree and he would desat and so he didn't even come they kept trying to pass a car seat test for him and he just he just could not so he ended up coming home in a car bed 
um, because it was the only way we were going to be able to transport him probably for a long time. So he was in that for a while. Yeah. Because he couldn't sit up because that, that affected his oxygen level. Yeah. We tried all these things, you know, reclining him as much as possible in the car seat, putting neck pillows around him to kind of prop up his head. And he just, uh, appropriate oxygen levels. So we tried that. I was just desperate to get him home. Just please let me bring my baby home. <laughs> the NICU is so isolating. And, um, and so they're like, well, there's this thing called a car bed. Like, what? Um, which we ended up donating back to the NICU because who the heck used <laughs> right. um, when he was done. And uh, yeah, and that got us to get him home earlier than would have otherwise. So, and they did want to try to get him off the feeding tube while he was in the hospital. And it was pretty clear that was going to be more of a long haul type situation. So at that point, we said, let's bring him home. Yeah. And you said he had multiple surgeries. Yeah. Yeah. So he had, um, we tried an NG tube. They don't usually send people home with those, but I convinced them that I was, capable and willing sent him home with that he just would not eat with that thing in so we reluctantly at seven weeks got a um he got a g2 place so there's a surgery for that and then he had the undescended testicles sorry dean i'm talking about your business on a podcast but um <laughs> you're not the first one. so he yeah so he had he had one surgery but they were going to do both and then mid-surgery they call me and it's like there's some strange looking mass i'm like are you kidding me they ended up doing stopping the surgery did a biopsy it was fine um not without a heart attack on my end but and then they did a second surgery for the other one um and that was it that one that he had the g-tube also taken out at the same time i think it was that one he was a year old um and then later on down the lines he had tonsils and adenoids um when he was two or something like that so was that yep, yep. a precautionary surgery or was that because they, he was having issues? So starting around two, he got hospitalized for pneumonia. Um, and it, while they were monitoring him overnight, they noticed that he was desatting and was having some other obstructive apnea episodes. And um, so we ended up going for a sleep study and found out that he had Central and obstructive apnea. Um, he was on oxygen for a while. Eventually ended up on a BiPAP machine, which is totally for the birds for a three-year-old at that time. <laughs> Getting um, them to, he ended up having, I don't know, I lost count. It was like 11 or 12 sleep studies um, oh, wow. to get all that under control. And so we tried tonsils and adenoids because he had, obstructive sleep apnea right it should help that instead and no one can figure out why his central apnea went away and the obstructive apnea stayed the same which makes again makes no sense he's been a little enigma mr dean he <laughs> frequently has these little idiosyncrasies and i'll call dr miller or someone else and she's like oh, i don't know i'm like no 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 <laughs> if you don't know then nobody knows right. and that's not really an option right now so i'm gonna need you to go ahead and figure that out <laughs> Yeah. Uh, if Dr. Don't Miller doesn't know, nobody knows. No. Danger, danger. Is he on growth hormone? I, it's 
Yeah, so we started him when he was four months old. It was like we moved to Virginia. Wait, he was born at the end of April. We moved in August, so he was just a couple months old. We wanted him. We were planning to move to Virginia, but then stayed a little bit longer to get him kind of stable and settled. And we moved to Virginia and started. Actually, we started with Dr. Miller. Um, yeah, so he was four, four months old, and he's been on it since. So. Okay. Do you remember seeing any significant changes after he started growth hormone? Yeah. So I remember Dr. Miller, like Dean was really, really puffy and, you know, typical um, low tone, obviously, and everything. <laughs> and I remember Dr. Miller saying um, once he was on growth hormone, he was going to grow a neck and wrists <laughs> because he was just so puffy. He didn't really have any. And it was like, I went back and looked at pictures from before he started until, you know, not really that many months after. And I mean, it was like all of a sudden she wasn't kidding. He had a neck and he had wrists and <laughs> it, um, <laughs> it definitely improved his muscle tone. We were able to start moving in the direction of helping with feeding. I mean, he was obviously undergoing feeding therapy and stuff at this point, but it really helped him be able to get stronger and feed and eventually we actually kept the G-tube for like three months after he didn't seem to need it just in case he got like sick or something and then, you know, kind of like relapsed or whatever. So, um, so it helped a lot. It just made him a lot more alert. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was a definite, it was a definite difference and his growth hormone levels measured so low, um, so, so low. So he clearly needed it um so yeah. yeah yeah that's something that I'm still not totally clear on because Freya's growth hormone levels are high mm. which which affects her doctors here at UCSF and affects their decision to increase her growth hormone even though you know like people who know way more than they do <laughs> think that yeah I know up. <laughs> But, about it. Right. Yeah, yeah right. but I guess there's some formula for figuring I don't know. It's that's why we have doctors, right? <laughs> it's beyond me. But something like that. I know. We've 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 encountered uh, I would say a decent amount of endocrinology. I mean endocrinology is difficult from what I understand. Dr. Miller said you could ask ten different endocrinologists the same question and you'll get eight or nine different answers. Um it's it's a you know, there's a lot of gray area, I guess, and stuff. So we've, we met with, I mean, initially we, when we moved down to Virginia, I was immediately trying to find somebody local and, you know, the uh, University of Virginia Medical Center, which, you know, a notable medical center where we were in Charlottesville, they said, oh yeah, we don't start growth hormone until two or three years old. And I was like, well, that's not what we're going to do. And then we had another guy who said, you know, we kind of laid down, hey, we see Dr. Miller down in Florida. She tracks this many patients, blah, blah, blah. You know, we want to, you know, communicate with you, but then we also want to defer to her. And he said, oh, yeah, sure. And then when she was saying his dose needed to go up, he was saying, well, I don't want to do that, so I'm not going to. Okay, well, see you later. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah lots of differing opinions and I get it, right? If you haven't seen a ton of people with Crowder Willie, um, that you know, I, I get it that you know you're going off of 
you know, what other things growth hormone might be used for or what textbook uh, guidelines are, the, you know, um, you know, if you're in the reference range, then you're good, you know, whereas um, other doctors uh, like Dr. Miller are looking for you to be in a certain, like, percentile within the reference range or whatever. So, I, I mean, I get it, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and I, yeah, I understand they have to be cautious, but I think when you have a specialist who sees as many patients as Dr. Seriously. Miller does, you know, so how is, what's up with Dean today? Like, what's he, he's, he's 10, and uh, what is he? He's 10, he just had his 10th birthday. Nice. Yeah. Um, he celebrates for like the entire month of April, so okay. as he should. Um <laughs> very excited about his birthday um you know yeah it's funny uh I don't know I never really know how to answer that question I mean my first thought is he's good I mean he's he's a happy kid um for the most part you know little meltdowns aside and things like that but he's a happy kid and he's really loving he has friends um you know he has a lot of speech uh, issues he has uh speech apraxia and then you know, still has some low tone. So those two things, not a fantastic combination, but he's had a fantastic speech therapist since he was three um, that we see. And so he, he's made a lot of progress, but his speech is still pretty rough. So that, that's something that comes up, you know, when you're 10, you're, you know, most kids are, they're chatting their, you know, chatting their ears off other kids um, to other kids and adults and so his conversations look a little different, which I think affects him socially, but um, he is making progress in school. He's had a couple of rough years. The past two years have been pretty good for the most part. He has a phenomenal special ed teacher um, and he, you know, is not necessarily on grade level with most stuff, but I mean, it's just, I mean, at this point we just ask for progress. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, it is it is what it is. Sometimes I have to admit, I even kind of distance myself from some of the resources that are available, like on Facebook with other um, Crowder Willie families, because I feel like Dean is not, he's not doing a lot of the stuff that people are talking about their kids doing at a similar age or, or when he was that age. And so sometimes I feel like I can't really relate. Um, but I don't know, but for him, like I said, he's making progress. He's a happy kid. He's got um, activities that he likes and, um, you know, gets along, I was going to say gets along well with his brothers as much as brothers do, you know, <laughs> three boys. Sometimes it's like a UFC match in my house and, you know, they're teasing each other and the rest of it, but that's all normal siblings. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so he's, I would say overall he's good. You know, we deal with um, a lot of the, you know, I was worried about the, the food issues when he was a baby because that's the first thing you hear about, you know, but um, food has occasionally been an issue, but mostly it's the anxiety, OCD stuff, things like um, hoarding and just anxiety about what's coming next, who's going to be at what, uh, you know, event and, um sometimes anxious about when food is going to be available, but it's, it's not even about him being able to eat it. It's just like, sometimes he just wants to have it and then he'll walk away from it. But it's like just that, that anxiety, that needing to know 
a lot of different things, not just food. So yeah. um, medically speaking, he's a lot better. He used to have a lot more medical issues, been able to get off some medications and things like that. So that's great. Um, so, uh, you know, all things considered, I'd say good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the anxiety is one that I think is I, I want to say that I wasn't necessarily prepared for. I mean, it's not too intense with Freya, but it's very interesting yeah. how it manifests. And I feel yeah. like we are at the beginning of it and I hope it doesn't get too much worse than what it is. But, you know, just seeing yeah. the way like, you know, the OC, the OC tendencies and the, um, yep. you know, needing to tidy up and then the questions and, you know, I feel like I have to remember that sometimes when she wants to check in about, are we going to have this snack? Are we going to do this? What are we, you know, like all the questions. And sometimes I'm just like, oh yeah. my God, I've answered that question already. But uh, to yes, understand 5, that. 5,000 times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then to understand that it comes from this place of anxiety helps to, you know. Yeah. Deal with, be more patient. But yeah, the anxiety yeah. is, is, is kind of new for us, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. It started for Dean when he was in, he was in kindergarten. He was five-ish. It kind of came out of nowhere um, and ended up getting so bad that it was really disruptive. And he was just doing all sorts of crazy stuff, tearing apart the classroom, meltdowns, wouldn't do this, wouldn't do that. Um, did lots of behavioral, uh, we had behavioral specialists come in and all these interventions and blah, blah, blah. We ended up putting him on Celexa, was very uh, hesitant to start any sort of anxiety meds at that age. But Dr. Miller was like, if he can't function, then, you know, that's that's a problem, you know. And, um, you know, and we're no stranger in our family to mental health issues. And so, you know, that obviously contributes as well, regardless of whether he has Prada Willie. Um, so... You know, yeah. and that made like night and night and day difference for him. Cause it just got to the point where he was so anxious all the time that it didn't seem like he was happy. And, and I'm like, this is not my kid, you know. And so it right. made a big difference. And and he's still on it now. Not that it eliminates everything, but it's not necessarily supposed to. Um, but it does make it a lot more manageable. Yeah. Well, good. I mean, it's, I think it's great to yeah. find something that works. And, you know, before Freya was born, I was very uh, anti-Western medicine in a way. And, yeah. you know, my yeah. daughter was born at home. I treated her with everything with herbs. And so it was just a real kind of crash course uh, when she, because Freya was a cesarean, <laughs> you know, so I went from like, I wouldn't yeah. even take ibuprofen for a headache to all set up getting, you know, right. you know, injected with drugs in my belly cut open. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and now yeah. oh yeah I remember when we when we hosted our first uh one small step walk for FPWR for uh, the foundation for Prada Willie research for those listening that don't know yeah I was like I can't believe that I am raising money for medical research for like this is not yeah <laughs> who am I <laughs> <laughs> but you know when you get you learn right like you get faced with these yeah. things you have these lessons in life you're like oh shit all right I gotta find a new way yeah yeah I know well I mean even things like I, I come from a family that has a medical background and so um 
it, it, none of that really phased me, but some of the stuff that all of a sudden I'm learning how to work an apnea machine and oxygen and feeding tubes and I can place an IV. I mean, what the heck? I am not, (laughs) I am not a nurse, but it's like, I can operate all this nonsense now that, you know, I never thought this was something I would be doing. Like I, who knew, you know, um, yeah. And they hand you this medical equipment and train you and they leave and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you do, you know, you do what you got to do. Right. I mean, to figure out what's going to help your kid. Um, yeah. So it's crazy. Yeah. And that's why when people say like, oh, I don't know how you do it. I'm like, well, first of all, I don't really know either. And second of all, you would do it too. I mean, yes. you would figure it out because what other option do you have? I exactly. mean, you, uh, there are other options, but I mean, but what other option do you have? You know, yeah. so that protective sort of, that's why when he was diagnosed, I was like, all right, game on. I will do what I need to do. Now there are times, ask my husband, where I just like, break down and it all comes out and I'm like I can't do this anymore and then it's just like I just need to say that uh-huh. and own it and then get back on the horse and keep going um yeah that's I mean what else am I gonna do this is my Dino is my baby <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know I think that's so that's uh I love that you point that out um that you know we we do have our moments where we're overwhelmed or we're feeling weak but that doesn't mean that we're not going to continue it's just you got to have those moments yeah. you got to recognize that damn this is hard yeah. and I am this is not really hard <laughs> but you yep, know that absolutely you're gonna, you're gonna let that go and you're gonna you know step up and so it's and, and you're always those that you're never gonna like hit a place where you're like oh yeah I got this for good you know yeah, right like, I don't need to process this. Anymore. You're always going to need to go back and process things. And it's a journey. <laughs> I was, you know, I was writing today on Instagram. I just before this call, I was um, posting something for, you know, PWS Awareness Month. And I, I recalled, and I don't remember who it was, but somebody told me when Dean was itty bitty that like, oh, a day will come when like, you'll go days and you won't even think about Prouder Willie. I don't know what the hell they were talking about because that has not been my experience at all. And maybe if your kid isn't super affected by the syndrome, maybe, 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 but I mean, it affects everything Dean does for better or for worse. I mean, I think some stuff, you know, um, Cole said to me one time, he's like, mom, sometimes I think that Dean is like really loving and like forgiving and everything and wants to hug people because he has Prouder Willie. It seems like that's the way a lot of, people with Prouder Willie are and I said I I think you're right buddy and he said you know it would be kind of not that I want him to have Prouder Willie but it would be sad if he wasn't like that you know and um how sweet and and, the cutest (laughs) oh Cole is like he is the most compassionate little dude it's really cute um he wants to be a physical therapist when he grows up to help people like Dean and other folks so which I love oh that's um, awesome not that he doesn't have his moments where he's like, dang, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but anyway, uh, you know, it affects everything. You know, we're always thinking about food and we do lock up, you know, to, is everything locked up and, um, you know, safety concerns. Dean's a wanderer. So trying to keep track of him, you know, if he gets sick. 
ask Bob when when Dean gets sick I turn into a mad woman I'm so worried about him and because we have had a lot of scares even um December he was hospitalized for three days with pneumonia and uh so he just goes downhill really quickly a lot of times he doesn't get sick often but when he does it's bad so yeah. You know, it affects everything, you know, medications every morning and night. So it's like, I don't really understand when I'm not supposed to be thinking about this, but you know, good for you. <laughs> good for you, whoever said that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah, because I, I mean, I definitely, I don't, I mean, I feel the same way, you know, I mean, it, it sounds yeah. like Freya has a bit of an easier time in some respects, but still like they're, yeah. like the food thing is always there and the, yeah. and now, you know, she's coming to an age where it's like, um, you know, I'm a little more aware of like potential meltdowns or, you yeah, know, that sure. obstinance that, um, you know, just like, oh my God, am I up for this battle right now? Or do I? <laughs> yeah. You're like, please stop. Please just stop. <laughs> yeah, but maybe they meant that, you know, you just kind of get a little, it just becomes more a part of your life. Like, because you can't forget about yeah. it. But that, you yeah, know, we're, no. you're not necessarily spending every moment, like, worrying and researching. And, you know, you kind of reach this point where you're, like, right. you're living for a little bit. And so you have to yeah. research something new because something new is always coming up or always potentially on yeah. the horizon. So... Yeah, yeah, and people talk about your, like, new normal, which sounds kind of cliche, but it really is true. There's a lot of stuff that you just you just kind of adjust to, and it is part of your um, – I forget, someone – what was it for? Someone was asking me, like, accommodations. We may, I think it was, like, a caseworker for something was asking me about, like, ways that we do things differently in our day because Dean has Prader-Willi, and I was like, oh, it's not that much, and then I start listening to things, and I'm like <laughs> – I guess there are a lot of things that we do, but, you know, we're not thinking about all those all the time. It just kind of is what it is. And our boys have adjusted, you know, our family has adjusted. Um, even some of our, you know, close friends who know um, more, who are a little more involved on a day-to-day basis, you know, everyone just kind of adjusts. <laughs> do you have a good solid community out there? Like, do you have a, a community of special needs families that you meet up with or just a good solid friend community that help out? How's that look? Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I think most of our, um, like, friend network is just like our, you know, regular old friends that we know from, um, you know, where kids go to school or church or, um, you know, whatever else. Um I sometimes I'm overwhelmed by reaching out to the general special needs community because um, like there's a Facebook group for um, moms of kids with special needs in Richmond. There's some other folks on there too, like speech therapists and other professionals and stuff, but it's mostly moms and those women are fierce. I mean, you post a question, you're going to get like 40 responses. People, these women know their stuff and it's awesome, but sometimes like just the amount of information is overwhelming and some will apply to your kid and a lot won't. And, and we know, um, you know, we know a handful of families in the area. Um, we don't really, some of us used to get together a little bit more often or when our kids therapy appointments would, um, 
you know, overlap or things like that. I think now everybody's just busy, busy. So it's not quite as much. Um, but, you know, we might see people at a one small step walk or something like that. Um, so it's, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say I reach out quite as much. So most of our support is like our friends who we live in an awesome neighborhood. Um, friends that see us all the time, their kids go to school with Dean um, and are just great. And my parents um, moved to Richmond um, in February, which has been amazing. Um, they're pretty much the only people that we you know, will entrust to Dean, um, like if some, he needs to, we're away overnight, which like never happens. But I mean, when we are away overnight, you know, they're, you know, able and willing to do all the stuff that's needed. And, um, so, and my brother lives in Northern Virginia, but when he and his family come down, they're great. So, you know, we're, we're fortunate. Bob's family lives in California. Um, so when they come out, you know, I mean, I think it's one of those things where the more, the more experience, direct experience you've had, the more helpful it is. But yeah, but also it requires people who, who get it and who are willing, willing to get it, you know. Um, so I would say in general, you know, we have really great support. Everyone at church is great. Like they, Dean like wanders around during the service and goes and sits with different people. Um like at the benediction at the end when the pastor puts up his hands and like does a little prayer, like Dean stands up in front and puts his hands up too. And it's just, and everybody just loves it. And like, you know, they're aware of his food issues. And um, so things like that, you know, I feel like we have a lot of support. Um, Sometimes, you know, in the end you realize that it all comes down to you. Like the tough decisions come down to you. The, the day to day stuff comes down to you, but I would say we have a lot of support. So this is kind of switching gears, but um, do you have something in your life that you do to like help process this or to help uh, relieve the stress or do you have like an outlet that you are, um, that feels good to you that helps you deal with all of this? Sure. Um, So I, picked up the flute in fourth grade when they offered a band instrument if we wanted to um you know pick one and I've been playing uh ever since so almost 30 years and um uh you know music for a long time was part of like was practically my entire life and I was going to leave college early to go to conservatory and everything I mean leave high school early to go to conservatory and everything but ended up kind of moving back but all that to say music has become a big part of my life again it's uh I mean it's a way that I deal with this but also with a lot of stuff it's just a nice escape for me um I need a creative outlet um I need something that's just me not like Allie is a mom or Allie is this or that or whatever um I have a day job as an as an editor um but it's just a totally different thing and it's really it's really nice I play or sing or something pretty much every day it's kind of what helps me feel grounded um I play in a band here in Richmond and then play at church and uh, occasionally other random stuff um, that comes up um, opportunities to play so that that's 
that's my thing. <laughs> that is, that's, that's my main thing. Um, I go for walks too. Exercise is really important for my mental well-being. It gives me a good time to just kind of decompress and just kind of, you know, get it all out. Do a good kickboxing workout. And <laughs> I, I took martial arts for um, training martial arts for about four years. I got my black belt and um, unfortunately stopped shortly after that. I didn't mean to. It just kind of was how it happened. But um, that was also a really good outlet for me. I have uh, one more question. And this came up. You brought this up in the email. You were talking about, you know, taking the long view of, of PWS. And you said, you know, yeah you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so I'm yeah. just wondering if you would like to, you know, explain that a little bit and talk about what that means to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the marathon on a sprint thing, I mean, again, it's one of those sort of cliche kind of things, but you know, it really is true. I think when Dean was born and obviously it was different because there were many more acute issues to deal with, but just became like every little moment became such a thing like you know every feeding every movement every everything was just so preoccupied with every moment and maybe that might have been necessary I guess um you know for the time being but that's not sustainable you know you that's not sustainable and at some point you know Dean was doing um speech therapy occupational therapy and physical therapy all at the same time. And it got to a point where it was like, we can't live at a therapy center all the time. Um, and so we made the decision to take him out of physical therapy because of the things, um, you know, where he needed help. He needed physical therapy help the, the least. Like he was already like running, walking, uh, kick a ball, you swing a bat, you know, that sort of stuff. So it was like, all right, you know, could do stairs, like we got that. Um, and I was worried, like, am I not doing enough for him? But it's like, you sometimes you just gotta, you gotta put your sanity in, in, in the mix too. Because if you're, you know, driving yourself completely crazy, then you can't be there for your kid the way that they need you to be there. And so it's just kind of, just kind of learning to take myself out of the moment sometimes and just say, okay, in the long run, how are we doing? Or to make decisions not to be obsessed with like, you know, I used to try to turn every little thing into a learning moment because it was like, I knew that he was behind and, and I knew that he might be behind no matter what, but at the same time, like, don't want to miss an opportunity. It's like, guess what? Sometimes that's just not sustainable in the long run so I think you know I, I would consider ourselves proactive folks and so it's not like you know my husband said to me he's like Allie it's not like you're gonna back off and be like a total slacker and do nothing for him you know <laughs> like, but at the same time you're always gonna feel like you could do more and so sometimes you just have to just take the long view in mind and see that he's making progress, see that this is happening. I mean, even right now, I'm feeling like, I was thinking this morning that I, you know, I used to um, organize a one small step walk for a couple of years, and I haven't done that for a while. Now, should I be doing that? Should I be doing more fundraising? Should I be doing this and that? But, you know, I, I am doing things, but it's just 
you know, reminding myself that I, that I can't do everything and I can't obsess about every little thing that he's doing because it's just, gonna, it's just not sustainable. Um, and just needing to back off and remember like what in the end is going to be most important. Like I, I want him to be happy. I want him to, um, you know, graduate high school, maybe beyond, I don't know. I don't even really care. <laughs> I mean, that would be great, but it's like, and want him to do something in the world where he feels like he's making a meaningful contribution to whatever, you know, whatever area of the world it might be, um, area meaning not geographically, but, you know, occupationally or whatever. Um, you know, those are the things that are most important. And I tell all of my kids, I'm like, you can be the smartest person in the world, but if you're a jerk, like, <laughs> that's, you know, that's not that's not something that's necessarily commendable, obviously. So, you know, just in a sense, treating him like, I mean, that's the other thing too, is like kind of recognizing that in a lot of ways, you know, we want to treat him and instill the exact same values in him as we do with our other kids. You know, we don't let him off the hook in terms of discipline. We don't let him off the, you know, he might have meltdowns for things, but that doesn't mean we try not, we try to make a situation where, you know, we can help him choose a different, um, I don't know, choose a different way. So it's like, yeah, that balance of remembering that he's also a regular kid and not obsessing about every little thing because it's just not, that's not what's best in the long run for, for him or for me, you know? Um, yeah. So that's, I guess that's what I mean by that. I feel like there's more, but that's, that's the main stuff that, that comes to mind. Yeah. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Definitely. Yeah. I, I was in my writing group yesterday and somebody was talking about, you know, kind of looking at life as seasons, you know, not necessarily like yeah. summer, fall, winter, whatever, you know, but like now I'm in the season yeah. of doing and I have the energy to right. be organizing these one small steps and to be doing this. And then you have the season of like, wow, it feels like kind of winter. I need to, I need to crawl inside and just hunker down a little bit yep. yeah so and I think that's yeah. yeah and to be accepting of that you know that it's not you can't be the same way all the time you can't drum up all the motivation all the um the drive and everything because because really in the end you're still doing like we were talking about before there's you're still doing a lot in a regular day um you know, you know, we keep in contact with his teachers and all the other stuff I was talking about and get him involved in activities and make sure he's, you know, playing with other kids and things like that. Um, you know, we're doing a lot on a regular basis to, you know, keep him in a good spot. And so it's not like we're doing nothing, but in terms of those things that are, or, and actually I just signed up to be an advocate reviewer again. <laughs> for FPWR proposals, which I've done quite a bit over the years. Um, you know, so again, nice. not, so not like is, I'm doing nothing, you know. <laughs> yeah. So what does that mean? An advocate reviewer, this is for the studies, the potential studies or. Yeah. So a couple cycles a year, um, FPWR receives grant research grant proposals, um, for, um, you know, from whomever has submitted them and, there's a 
two um, sides of the reviewers. So there are scientific reviewers who are usually other researchers, doctors, PhDs, and such, who are reviewing grant proposals for their scientific merit and whether, you know, it seems like something that, you know, is scientifically sound and, um, you know, is a wise, maybe a wise approach, the study that they're um, desiring and, um, yeah, evaluating it more from that perspective. And then the advocate reviewers that are usually parents, um, sometimes grandparents, um, who also review the studies, and we kind of look at it from more of the Prader Willie community pers community perspective. So, does this seem like something that we think is an important issue, you know, um, to investigate? Given all the things that could be researched right now, um, does it is it innovative? Does it seem like a good use of funds? Because um, these studies are <laughs> my goodness um does it seem like a good use of funds does it um will will it have a significant or perceived significant um impact um in the lives of people of Prada Willie you know that sort of thing and uh once that stuff gets all you know gets scored and everything and then from there we have conversations um often in conjunction with the scientific reviewers to then really nail down, okay, we're gonna fund this many studies. You know, where where are we? And sometimes, um, some a study might be a, a great idea, but it needs some tweaking. So we send it back to the researchers and say, you know, hey, maybe this is a lot to accomplish. Maybe just focus on this. This seems like the most, uh, you know, important goal for right now. Yeah, so it, it happens, you know, and so every once in a while, um, Jessica Bohanowicz from SBWR will send out a request for advocate reviewers. I've done it quite a bit over the years. My day job is editing for um, microbiology publications, and so it's kind of in my, a little bit in my wheelhouse, too, in terms of, I feel like, I mean, these people are crazy smart who are submitting these stuff, so I don't always understand everything, but I feel like I get a little bit more of the grasp maybe than the average layperson. That sounds snotty, but you know what I mean. Um, I know what you mean. It doesn't sound snotty. In, yeah, in terms of uh, being able to get a grasp of what they're looking at. and um, So, yeah, it's. I like it because I feel like I'm making an I do feel like I'm making an impact, and I feel like it's something I – you know, there's so much that we can't control about this syndrome, but it feels like something that I get at least at least the illusion of some control. <laughs> yeah, being able to help determine the direction of research and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I enjoy it. Nice. Yeah, I, and that's one of the things that I love about FVWR is that there is, um, you know, their parents are involved in what gets funded. Oh, yeah. Or and it's not just like token input, like just to say, oh, we, you know, just to say they ask parents. Like they really take our opinions into account and into account, and the the um, scientific reviewers do as well. Um, it's not just, you know, it's not just lip service. They really are listening. Well, Ali, is there anything that you wanted to say before um, we get off here? Did it, anything that you wanted to that we didn't cover? It's been an interesting 
it's been an interesting journey over these last 10 years, but, um, you know, people say, oh, Dean's lucky to have you guys, but really honestly, and it sounds trite, but it's true. I really do. I feel like we're lucky to have him. He's taught us so much and he's a, he's a great kid and brings a lot of joy to a lot of people. So it's crazy. I don't know if I could say, oh, I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say that, <laughs> but I am really thankful for getting here thus far. And, uh, and Mr. Dino, he's, uh, he's a joy to be around. <laughs>